Thanks for joining in to the Behavior Chef podcast, helpful conversations around healthful behavior. I'm Clint Evans, your host, and without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hey, welcome to episode 21 of the Behavior Chef podcast. This podcast is the podcast that gives you helpful conversations around healthful behavior. And I know if you've listened for a while, I always mix those up somewhere. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out which side I want to lean on for the full, uh, the full introduction. Healthful conversations, helpful behavior. Uh, helpful conversations, healthful behavior. So you let me know if you're listening, which one you like better. Um, but all that out of the way, I have a really cool guest today. I'm really excited to bring you uh, a fellow BCBA and... Um, just a all around powerhouse. Uh, her name is Angela Tam. Uh, if you know uh, her on Insta Instagram, if you don't, you should, but she goes by chasing chin ups. And uh, today we're going to really talk about what intuitive eating looks like um, on the ground uh, in the personal, uh, the relational, the familial, all the aspects of it. Um, and I just can't wait to dive in. Angela has been so gracious to give her time and, um, all that said, Angel, why don't you introduce yourself and say hi to the audience? Hi, everyone. <laughs> My name is Angela. So like Clint said, I am a BCBA. I'm also mom of three young kids, um, age seven, five. And my youngest one is turning three next month um, in February. Oh, happy early birthday. Thank you. So Angela, you and I got connected through IG um, a few, gosh, it's been a few months now that I think about <laughs> it, but <laughs> pandemic had us really spread out on time. But I, I we put out a call to uh, guests for specifically for the human series. And that's what this episode's really about is, um, and, the, and our aim for those of you listening, if this is your first time hearing the human series, our aim for that is to uh, break down all the minutia of what diet culture brings you and tells you you need to do and give you real life examples of what people have been able to do to change a healthful habit, to ch change their lifestyle to something that is sustainable and beneficial and helpful, not something that's demeaning and, and overbearing and scary. And like a diet is for most people, you know, the scale right. seems to rule you. And that's not what this is about. Life doesn't go by numbers it goes by experience more than anything else so Angela reached out and and we've been talking for quite a while and uh, I really like to dive into those topics we talked about Angela of your um, your beginning uh, of your journey that inspired your husband to begin his journey and then how you guys are modeling that for your three young kids um how far back should I go <laughs> how far you feel is relevant um I guess it's I always been struggling with my own body image growing up. Um, so I didn't grow up in North America, I grew up in Taiwan. And I guess the popular image of how beautiful, how a woman should be, they have to be very, very slender in Taiwanese culture. So growing up, I've always felt really insecure about my look and my body weight. Um, I've never gone through drastic measures to go on a diet, mainly because I just didn't want to give up all the food that I was eating. <laughs> I was like, what? I need to give up this and that. It just didn't sound appealing to me. So I didn't do that. Um, I came to Canada when I was 16 before I turned 17. And I would say in a span of maybe six months, I put on a lot of weight, um, 
probably because I have access to a lot of highly palatable food that's novel to me, right? Pizza, wings, um, those are the two things that come to mind. But yeah, like I put on a lot of weight in the beginning and the weight kind of stayed with me for a long, long, long time. I don't think I fully lost them. Um, I did lose a little bit of weight before I started university and I was able to kind of maintain more or less throughout um, the four years I was in, in um, undergrad. I think both my husband and I started putting on weight after we started working. It just life was so busy. I was working as a frontline instructor therapist. I was doing that full time. And I think three, four days a week. I will work part-time privately after work. So I'll, like I work till four and then I will work for another two hours after my full-time job is done. Right? So life was really busy and it just, it was easy to put on weight. Um, and because we were so busy, you know, starting our career. And then later on, I started doing grad school part-time, um, you know, eating healthy or exercising just really wasn't a priority for us at that time. I can, yeah, I think a lot of folks listening, especially um, if they're in our field, in the ABA field, or just the healthcare field in general, um, they're going to resonate with that uh, statement, that whole, you know, going through uni and, and, and getting through grad school, who cared about, you know, we, we ordered out, we ate, we studied, and then working, oh my gosh, you, I mean, you hit it on the head, you, you would work a frontline job and then go do, you know, private pay uh, ABA services somewhere else. And who has time to put together a meal plan when you're, you know, just getting your feet wet, especially when you're first getting set in the field, it's, it's, you have to earn your place. It seems like, or it feels like anyway. And yeah. so there's a lot of running around and, and, you know, saying yes to things and doing this and that where you kind of put yourself on the back burner. And I'm hoping we can catch some folks. If there are people listening in, in that transition phase from grad school to, you know, that type of life that we all seem to jump in. I'd, I'd hope to catch you before you do and help you to examine um, that your nutritional behavior is very important during this whole time. So, you know, don't neglect it. Uh, that's why we have a, we have a group on Facebook for behavior analysts called behavior analysts get fed. And um, there's 3,300 people in there right now. And it's, it's literally just for the field, anybody that's associated with ABA to talk about nutritional habits, like on the job. And so, you know, hey, I, you know, I, I did it for myself. I would run like client, client, client. Oh, hey, Taco Bell. You know, I'm going to grab Taco Bell on the way mm-hmm. um, back. Uh, and then I come home and I wouldn't be hungry until it was bedtime. And then I would eat something and I wouldn't sleep well. And, you know, just the cycle. And so that's why it's there. But I, I'm glad that you, you brought that point up. And so what was the moment where you kind of decided enough is enough? Um, it didn't come for another couple of years. So even after grad school, I had kids and I, we had kids back to back. So I was pregnant or either pregnant or pregnant and breastfeeding or breastfeeding, <laughs> like combination sure. of those things yeah. or maybe five, six years. Um, and during that time, I was still either studying for the board exam or I was working, I was teaching or I was, you know, doing some professional development on the side. Right. So again, dieting or losing weight, exercising wasn't a huge priority for us. Like eating healthy was always a priority. Like we became more conscious of making better choices after we became parents. 
but we were still eating way too much food. Right? I, I can eat healthy, but like if I'm downing, like eating one avocado a meal, <laughs> it's still way too much calories. Um, and and I think a lot of parents can relate to this. A lot of us would say, oh, we've had a tough time. The kids are now finally in bed. Let's enjoy something. Yeah. I am not saying don't ever do it, but those actions have, you know, we call it small but cumulative consequences. Sure. It's okay for me to eat one pint of Haagen-Dazs, you know, once every couple of weeks. But if I'm doing it every night with a Costco-sized bag of chips, it's going to add up, right? So Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, so that happened to us. And and I think some parents can also relate. I don't know, you, you might start seeing or those memes might start catching your attention now that you're becoming a parent soon. I'm sure. But after kids start solids and after they start eating food that really resemble what we eat, a lot of parents will end up picking up their leftovers and eating them. And that's what we did too, right? Because growing up as kids, we all learned, don't waste your food, clean your plate. And for me, a lot of times, it's very negatively reinforcing for me to finish their leftovers because I'm not wasting food and I get to clear the clutter that's on the kitchen table. Sure. So I will do that. Or sometimes it's really positively reinforcing because the food tastes really good. <laughs> all right. And then again, that all adds up. Um, so this is my little PSA, PSA for the parents out there. Um, I know many of us are in a very privileged position where we not only have sufficient food in the house, we have an abundance of food in the house. Um, and sometimes it is really easy to eat food, even though we're not hungry and it's not guiding us towards our values. And I've done that for many years. My husband has done that. I will say like, hey, there's, you know, half a PB&J sandwich. Someone, so-and-so didn't finish. Do you want to finish that? And we will eat it because we don't want to waste food. Um, and again, those calories really do add up. So for the parents out there, it is okay if you don't want to eat the leftovers. It's okay to pack it up um, for later. And I'm not saying don't ever eat at leftovers. I still do it sometimes if I finish my food and I'm still feeling a little bit hungry or the food is really good. I just want a couple extra bites. As long as I am there to make a conscious decision on whether I want to eat it or not, I will give myself the grace and the freedom to eat it. But I'm trying very hard to break that I guess years of habit that I've built. Oh, there's something on my kid's plate. I'm just going to grab it, eat it so I can put the dish in the sink or put it in a dishwasher. That's man. That's some powerful mindful stuff. Um, that, that is, I, I don't know yet. Like you said, I'm, I'm about to join the club, but um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm sure the temptation is there. Um, you know, is. I mean, even though I'm not a parent, I'm, I, I work with parents uh, just for what we do for a living. I have family members with young children. So I, I see it. I see that behavior happening. I just don't put a lot of stock into it myself because it's not something that's it's foreign to my repertoire. So it's not something that I resonate with yet. But when you talk about that, there's a lot of folks hearing this that are going to really hear that. And I know that there's, uh, I've talked with other parents about similar things where there's almost a guilt related to it. Like you kind of talked about, you know, uh, we don't waste food and I don't want to be an exemplar of wasting food. So therefore we, we eat it. And um, you know, 
and I, I love that that comes out of a place of uh, teaching, but it's, uh, it, you're kind of hitting on it there. It's a bit misguided, it seems, because it's, you know, ultimately what ends up happening is you're the one ingesting the extra food. You're the one. And most of the time it seems to be hyper palatable because it's kids, you know, they're not going to mm-hmm. ask for a kale quinoa salad or something. <laughs> I mean, if they do, I want to know how you got them to do that or how you, how you introduced that to where there was something they wanted. But uh, yeah, PB and J sandwiches, you know, dino chicken nuggets, all that stuff kids love. And who doesn't love a dino chicken nugget? I don't know a person on the planet that, that likes uh, meat and doesn't want a dino chicken. I would, I would eat it any time <laughs> of the day, but the, I, I like how you're able to talk to yourself and, and say, you know, like you said it best, but uh, eating towards your values, you know, it's, it's not values driven behavior change, right? That's uh, that's the mantra these days on, on almost everything. And it should be, it should have always been, but the, um, the mantra, especially for that nutritional behavior change, it's also our nutritional values. What do we value and uh, what are we modeling for our kids? I, I loved how you, you were talking about that uh, a little bit earlier um, in our conversation. And when we were off air, you were really passionate about um, leaving, um, you know, a, a great role model, literally role playing uh, in just everyday life. Our kids, what it means to eat. Uh, that, I mean, that's a whole class of behaviors. Eating is not just one thing. You know, I you touched on something I really preach, um, and we call it the eighty percent rule. And so it's it's that I'm eighty percent full, then that's when I stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people will ask, "How do I know that I'm eighty percent full?" And that and that takes mindfulness. It takes mindfulness to understand what being actually actually being full versus being what most of us experience as being. <clears throat> excuse me. Most of us experience what I would call being gorged. <laughs> you know, we when when I was I remember being a kid, and when I was full, I was stuffed. You know, I had a hard time. Like I would breathe hard. You know, it was like, whoo, one of those meals. You know, like a Thanksgiving dinner, where you're like, yeah. okay. Oh man, you know, I need to go lay down or something. But that was like my, that, that was my, that I was, I learned, I was conditionally uh, learning that who equals full. And so therefore I'm overeating, you know, most of the time. And so you recognizing that for yourself in, in your own way, it sounded like, because I, I really resonated with that moment. Um, and now that you're implementing that for your, you and your husband and how you guys are united to show that for your kids. I think that's a, a very valuable piece for people to learn. Um, Cause I imagine there are parents listening going, well, how, you know, how do I reconcile the leftovers? How do I reconcile, you know, teaching these, these small yet sustainable, or how did you put it? Small, but accumulative uh, behaviors. Yeah. So yeah. how did you start making that shift for yourself? Um, sorry. I want to go back to the, yeah, go ahead. Not go wasting ahead. food. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think there are many ways that we can do to reduce waste. So I have sure. changed my behaviors. Um, now, when I'm serving my kids food, I just give them smaller portion sizes. If they want more, they can ask for more. Um, when I'm making PB&J sandwiches, instead of cutting them in halves, I give, I cut them in quarters so they don't go to waste if they choose not to eat them. Right. Sure. So there are ways that we can change our own behaviors to reduce the likelihood of waste. Um, and also by showing our kids that we eat their leftovers and even though we have finished our food, we're really modeling the food, the, the behavior of, you know, eating when they're not, when we are not hungry. Right. And I think most kids are intuitive eaters. Um, at least when I observe my kids, I feel like they are able to stop eating when they are full. 
But I, and I think all of us were once intuitive eaters, like babies are intuitive eaters. They will stop drinking milk when they're full, but at some point we lose that behavior. I don't know because of our teaching or our parents telling us that you need to finish all your food. Um, But at some point in our lives, we stop doing that. Um, And I'm, I want to make sure that my kids don't lose that ability to stop eating when they're full. Like my oldest will do that. Like we will be enjoying a nice dessert. Um, and then she will just stop eating and she will say, I'm full, I'm done. And she'll get up and leave. Um, and we really acknowledge that. We say, Oh, thank you for listening to your body. That's really, really excellent. Right. And I think she's setting up a really good example for the other two kids because my husband and I are still (laughs) struggling with that a little bit. Yeah. That Um, one is, you have a longer learning history. (laughs) Yes. We have a much longer learning history. (laughs) Um, so I want to make sure like uh, my kids continue to do that. Hmm. That's such a great way to, to frame it. And going back to the, you know, the reasoning why, and there's obviously multiple reasons why we, we lose that intuitive, um, eating piece. I, I honestly think it's because of the behavioral signals of the rest of the world are so much louder than the intuitive eating piece that, um, we get, you know, there's a lot of CMOs at play, of, of course, uh, a lot of conditioned, you know, motivating operations, a lot of them being the internal events. I know as a kid, I learned to, uh, and this was by my own design, but I, I recognized, uh, I was intuitive. I, I would intuitively eat and we all do, but it was aimed at the wrong direction. So for me, intuitive eating became, uh, if I'm sad, I can feel better by eating this hyper palatable food. And so that, that in and of itself is an intuitive approach. However, it's, it's not a healthful intuitive pro- approach. And so that, that behavior compounds, right? It's reinforced. It's, and it becomes naturally reinforcing because that environment promotes it. And so you know, that was, you kind of said it there too, kind of changing your own environment and um, changing your own behaviors that way. So if you're changing what's in the household, it, I, I think some influencers say it a lot harsher. Just get it out of the house. <laughs> you know, it's that that's the that's the perfect way to do it, but that's not always possible. Mm. You know, no. if if it, if you don't have it, there's no possibility. I try to, for example, um, I try to whatever I'm craving recently, I try to keep um healthier versions in the house. Uh whatever like lately I've been on a huge like fried rice kick. And so I've been buying nothing but cauliflower fried or cauliflower rice, uh steaming it and frying it myself and it takes just a few minutes, but it's clearly, and it's not rice by any means, but <laughs> I can eat quite a bit of it. I flavor it the way I like to. And you know, it, I don't, it's not guilty for me. I I'm, I'm learning how to pivot, uh, which is kind of what you guys are doing as well. So I'm, I'm hoping to set that up for my kids from the get go, but the fact that you're recognizing it and, and I know there's a lot of parents, <laughs> a lot of parents probably just said what I just said, you know, we're, we're going to teach them to eat healthy from the get go. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, um, planning and practice are two different things, but, <laughs> but I, I like the, I, I love, I love is a great word for, it. I love the approach of the positive reinforcement for your, your daughter, um, acknowledging her body as far as I'm full, I'm done. You know, it, that body autonomy is so important for kids, especially, in that area. Um, I had a, another conversation on an episode, uh, a few episodes back about the same topic where, um, you know, kids were just told, and a lot of us growing up, were just told, finish your, 
meal. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I was a kid, it was there are starving kids in whatever country. Um, you know, they, they would they would love to eat your food. Like there was a guilt trip involved, and, and I didn't know any different then. But now, looking at children, you know, if you look at it through that way, a behavioral lens, I'm gonna punish their behavior and then overcorrect with making them finish. That doesn't sound like a very sound way to do it, does it? Yeah, and I have to say, like we, my husband and I, did that in the past yeah. too. We say you a have to finish do. your food, right? Sure. And this, this really just changed in the last year and a half or so. For like since we started, you know, our fitness journey and trying to be more healthy and mindful of what we're doing, we are making sure that our kids are doing the same things too. Right? They they should be able to trust their own bodies and listen to what their bodies are telling them. And it's, I don't see how kids should be eating differently than us. Um, if we're saying that we can be intuitive eaters, I think the kids can too. We sure. just really need to set up the environment and reinforce those, uh, reinforce those behaviors when we see them. You mean like use the basics of analytic behavior analytic principles? <laughs> huh. Who knew that it would work, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic that you're taking that approach. And it seems like it's, it's working, you know, and it's, it, it sounds like a trickle down effect that you're, especially if your oldest is modeling it for the rest of them, you know, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that it, that it continues that way. And so you'd mentioned, I was interested too, you'd mentioned that you started a journey of your own. You made a decision. That's how this kind of all snowballed forward. You started your own journey. And then a few months after, or maybe a year after your husband began his yeah, it was a few uh, months after, actually. A few months after. Okay. So I, I'd really like, so we always focus on the kids, which they're very, very important. But there's also the dynamic of parents. And so the the, the relationship there, the marriage, the the whole relationship, you guys are, are one together, one power couple, you know. And so we influence each other's behaviors all the time. And I'm always interested to hear like that. So you got started and he noticed mm-hmm. and then he got started. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, um, I can't quite remember how he started. So the only time I have lost weight in the past was to count calories before our wedding. And I did lose some weight, um, but I gained all the weight back after the wedding, if not more. And then after that was, you know, pregnancy and then kids. Um, and that was the only time I've been on a diet. So earlier not this year, earlier, it was in January 2020. Yeah, it's all one long year at this point. <laughs> yeah, so it was January 2020. I somehow decided that it's time to make a change. I, I don't remember what drove me, but I figured it's time for a change. Um, I was starting to just count calories again because that's what I did in the past and it worked in the past. Mm-hmm. And then I somehow stumbled across an ad on Instagram and it was um, biceps after babies. So it was also a mom. She's a registered nurse and she's a macros coach and she's a personal trainer. And she was talking, I think she was doing like a fat loss challenge or something like that. I went onto her Instagram and realized she has um, her own podcast. So I listened to a couple episodes and she was talking about macros um, and it just all really made sense to me. And I thought, that's just give it a try. I'm counting calories already. I'm tracking something already. That's just take it up a notch a little bit <laughs> and yeah. try counting macros. 
And, and that's that, how that's, it kind of started. Great. So you, you found your macronutrient breakdown through, uh, I'm assuming, some tools that she may have given you or, or a website somewhere that gives you a kind of a macronutrient breakdown. And then you were able to log those into like MyFitnessPal or something like that? Yeah, it was basically yeah. that. Like MyFitnessPal and I used her, I think she had like a spreadsheet to pay for us to cal- calculate our macros. Awesome. Um, so I used that and I did some see some really good results in the beginning. Um, and I was um, doing Peloton workout. So I did a combination of cardio and strength nice. training um, and saw some really good results. I did take myself out of that fat loss, fat loss phase for a little bit in, sure. I think it was March or April. So my husband had presumed COVID at that time. And mm. life just got really tough. Um, yeah. He was in like quarantine by himself in a basement for like three oh. weeks. And so at that time I was like, you know what? I, I just need a break. So I took myself out of that fat loss, like the, the calorie deficit for yeah. a while. And a when, space. yeah, for a little bit. Yeah. And then in, I think it was in the end of April, I decided to hire a coach because I wanted to do more um, structured strength training. Awesome. Um, just to be a little bit more systematic. And I had no idea what I was doing when it came to strength training because I've never really done it before. So I figured it would be beneficial to hire a coach. And I guess the rest is history. So I continue with the calorie deficit for another, almost another six months. Um, mm-hmm. Strength trained four times a week. Awesome. Um, and I think he joined me in June. Um, I can't remember how I convinced him. He's always very adamant about how he doesn't want to count calories. He doesn't want to track his food. He thought it was too time consuming. Um, and he doesn't have time for that. But I guess something changed. Yeah. <laughs> Over the course of quarantine, he was home all the time now. And he used to drive, he used to spend about three hours in commute every day. Oh, but now okay. he has an extra three hours. Sure. Um, no excuse. <laughs> no excuse. And he's home. Like he has so much control over his food. He's not eating, you know, with people in his company during, you know, lunch meetings and things like that. So he has so much control over his food. Um, and again, I don't remember how I convinced him, but he decided to give it a try. <laughs> and he did. And he saw some really, really good results. Like, you know, we've always been pretty good with what we're putting in our bodies. Most sure. of the time, we're just eating too much. And oh, that's that's a huge point. I mean, that's an entire episode in and of itself. The majority of folks that listen, and if you, if that's you, if you're driving and, and listening, hopefully nodding your head along, like, you you might be surprised that you're probably in that boat. The majority of folks I find are in the boat where they're they're not eating terribly. They're just eating a little bit too much. Um, por- portion size is usually the biggest problem I see with people when it comes to this sort of a thing. When you realize, okay, so what is the macronutrient breakdown of, oh, I'll, I'll give you a, a big, um, a big one that I see that people over consume is almonds, um, mm-hmm. or just nuts in general. So about 13 almonds, 13 to 16 almonds, depending on the packaging is 180 calories. Um, roughly, you know, I know it might differ via, via manufacturer, but if you count out 15 almonds it's less than a handful mm-hmm. and so at least for me i have fairly large hands so it's it's in the <laughs> palm of my hand and um you know they're they are a great snack uh, one serving is fantastic delicious snack <laughs> oh they're yeah well, that's the problem is that you could 
devour the it's, you said something about costco earlier i don't know if you get your I don't oh yeah everything's from costco in this house yeah, that's <laughs> fair ours m- mostly ours too so we get our almonds from costco and they come in like a a 10 pound bag of almonds and they're the freshest that we've found anywhere but if you look on the back it'll say there's like 75 servings per bag and you know you could sit and just throw handfuls in and not think about it mm-hmm. then you're over consuming on your your fats are going to be way high even though they're they're good fats your calories are going to be way high um you know so yeah i could go on that tangent forever but you you made an awesome point for people just to be cognizant of uh, learning portion size is probably one of the biggest skills that we could teach anyone, um, especially, if, and, and that's how we usually approach it through our coaching methods. If you're not interested in macro and uh, uh, weight, uh, not weight management, um, calorie counting, there we go, excuse me. Yeah. We, we use uh, the hand size method. So we teach people, you know, there's, there's a, a correlative stim, uh, stimulus, basically. We're teaching like, okay, stimulus discrimination. So portion of, uh, you know, your roughly your hand size, your palm is, is roughly going to be a a normal portion of protein. That's going to be roughly somewhere between 18 to 22 grams of protein, maybe 200 calories. So on the average, so we, we would start teaching people that where, you know, uh, a size of your thumb is a good portion of fat and two portions of your palm is a good portion for veggies for meal. So if you're somebody who doesn't have the time, um, I'm using air quotes. I know that everyone can't see me, but if, if you don't have the time there, I mean, there's some intuitive pivots that you can make is to be looking at, okay, so how much am I throwing on this plate? You know, it doesn't matter if I'm eating a, one of the, one of my favorite examples is salad. You know, everybody gets like salad is something that lulls us into a false sense of security. And then you go to restaurants that have their calorie count on their menu, like uh, cheesecake factory. There's no, no secret there. Some of their salads are 1,700 calories. So the salad in of itself, there's there's lettuce in it. That's not a salad. You know? <laughs> it's a deconstructed sandwich at that point. But um, I, all joking aside, you bring up so many great points about the, it's not hard. It's it's not. It's just a decision and a movement. We move towards something. I you. I mean you. You gave the whole process. You gave your process. And breaking down your process, so you sought for skill acquisition, right? So the 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 lady, uh, um, biceps after babies, is that what you said? Yeah, biceps yeah. after babies. <laughs> so you you reached out, and she talked about macronutrients. So then mm-hmm. you inquired about macronutrients. So you acquired the skill of macro counting, and then that skill compounded on some pivotal skills and some behavioral cusps. It sounds like to. Mm-hmm you know, get you access to other reinforcers. And then all of a sudden you have a naturally reinforcing behavior chain, working out four days a week, tracking your foods because you're seeing the benefits. Yes. And so lo and behold, again, behavior analytics <laughs> work when they're applied, even if they're applied loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we as clinicians, at least for me, I know as a clinician, I always look, uh, I analyze behavior forward. I, I, I don't analyze my own very well. So I, I don't ever stop to think, all right, that was an SD for me. That was, you know, my S Delta that that's a CMO right there. Like, you know, why am I, why am I doing these things throughout the day? But when you break it down, you started looking at your own behavior mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned earlier, and then that led you to a change. So if you're a BCBA listening, try examining your own behavior just for a moment. It's, it's, <laughs> it's oddly freeing actually. It, it is. is. A, it's a bit scary. Because you're, you know, you got to dig into your own head a little bit, but use your expertise that you've been given and that you've been able to help many, many families with. And if this is an area of struggle for you, just take a moment, analyze it. 
if you're not a BCBA, uh, you know, stop and think what, what's, if you're not in the field of, of behavior analytics, stop and ask yourself, what am I trying to get out of this journey that I'm on? And, and where am I at? You know, are my portion sizes too big? Do I eat too quick? Do, you know, small questions lead to big answers. And so you, I think the title for this whole thing could be exactly what you said earlier, small accumulative, gosh, I, I'm going to mess it up there, but <laughs> small things accumulate over time. However you put small that. Small but cumulative. Yes. Yes. It was yeah. way better than what I just said, but that's, that's so true that the, you know, like you mentioned the little avocado at every meal. I mean, I, I love avocados too, but mm-hmm. you know, you, but you learn that, right. When you do like macro counting and things, you learn Foods that are high in fats, because uh, fat has a higher, uh, it's more expensive for your body. So therefore, there's, mm. there's more, um, there's a higher density of calories involved with fats yeah. than carbohydrates or protein. And so. And uh, it's, it's a, such a huge learning curve for my husband too. Like he sure. grew up in a family that loves to eat and they pride themselves in how much they can eat. Um, and I, I think it was like a couple months after he started, or maybe a couple weeks, he was, he usually eats a little bit later than us because he works till pretty late. So the kids was already in bed and I was sitting in the kitchen and he was weighing his food and he just, he was measuring something and he stopped and he looked at me and he was like, gosh, can you remember how much I used to eat? Like, this is what 150 grams of chicken looked like. Can you imagine how much I used to eat? And I was like, yeah. You're never going to learn this unless you started tracking your food in some way, whether it's measuring, whether it's using hand portion size, you're not going to understand the nutrient quality of your food unless you learn to measure it and you learn about the breakdown. That'll preach. (laughs) That's, man, that's a soundbite for sure. You won't learn unless you learn. it's not, I think, and I speak from, I say, I always say a lot of folks, and that's a crazy generalization because there's so many things that play into everybody's nutritional behavior. Um, and I mainly say that based on my observations of people and my own experience. And so I, I feel like there's a lot of fear surrounding this. Um, there's a lot of uh, anxiety that says, you know, what if I do it wrong? You know, that, that that's what always stopped me when I was like, okay, I could track, but what if, what if I track and I'm over tracking and I'm doing it wrong and then I get on the scale and the scale hasn't moved and I'm defeated and I just start the cycle all over again. And if that's you, I just want to point out that you just, if you're nodding right now at home or listening, you've, you've already identified the hard part. You've identified your cycle. <laughs> if, I mean, so I mean, it's funny when we talk about behavior and we analyze, but we take a step back and we say, yeah, well, I usually do this, 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 and this. That's a behavior chain. You just, you just mentioned it yourself without it really diving into it. So, you know, triggers, right? So maybe we'll work on just learning one thing at a time. So the rest of it falls into place, kind of like skill acquisition, generalization, and maintenance <laughs> of, of a newly acquired skill. So if I'm talking to the ABA community, I'm hoping there's a light bulb going on, um, you know, because Angela's taking the same approach and she just decided and learned and it's okay to reach out for help. Yes, you know, for sure. Ask for help. Start small, right? Just think about what we tell parents or when we're starting a treatment plan. We start with the least restrictive measure possible. Like if we're doing that for the clients we're working with, 
Why are we making some drastic, impossible changes for ourselves? Why are we、mm. saying things like "I'm going to cut out all sugar, all carbs, all alcohol"? When we can just start something small, like I am going to drink only one glass of wine tonight instead of three. Start really, really small. Like figure out what it is that you want to target and start small. That again, another、uh, another great piece、uh, PSA.、Um, start little. You know, use your、mm-hmm. use your skills, ABA folks. Use your skills that you already have to to help yourself here. But. If you if you do need a little bit of help, you know that's one thing. That's one reason why we exist at Behavior Chef. We do that. That's what we focus on. We take the analytics of behavior and、um, apply them to nutrition. So if that's something that you're you know you have a hard time doing for yourself, if you're listening to this, send us an email. I'd love to talk to you.、Uh, and there are plenty of other people that do the same thing. You know, but honestly, it really starts with you. You know,、mm-hmm. the, you know, one of the things when we teach clients, we worry about prompt dependence, right?、Uh, I, at least I do. I, I worry about ma- making sure that we we fade out our prompts as we go, so we're not inadvertently creating a prompt dependent behavior chain somewhere.、Uh, it's the same when you rely on these quick fixes. So when when you rely on、um, you know a ten week challenge, or you rely on some big company like Weight Watchers or Noom or whoever it might be, if you if you rely on them to lose your weight, or if you come if you find yourself every January looking for the new one. You know, yeah. You know, it's January one. I want to lose a little bit of weight. Okay, so what's the new app that's working? That's prompt dependence. You're you're prompt dependent on something other than yourself. And so, one as an adult eating food, you know, like we want to help you recognize that. And it starts with you, listener. And so,、uh, Angela recognized that, and、uh, maybe not in the same way, but you recognized that something needed to change within yourself. And you saw a little bit of help, and you know, I'm assuming you're not doing the、uh, challenges with the、uh, biceps and babies after babies right now, right? You know how to do things on your own, and the trainer is because you said it yourself. You have zero background in in weightlifting, and you wanted a systemized way to help do it correctly. Yes. So, what did you do? You reached out for help. Yeah. So I hired a coach,、um, and she designed like my workout with for me. Um, she was able to track my progress, and we kind of just, I guess,、Go、continue to work on it. Yeah, yeah. It's not,、uh, well, and I, I'm just using your example as saying, like, it's it's not glamorous. It's not anything that needs to be perfect. You just got to start. Yes. Right. And so, how are you feeling now? You're a little over a year in. Yeah. So I started reversing in the end of October. Okay.、Um, I also stopped with my coach at that time,、um, so now I'm kind of hanging around at maintenance.、Um, I'm still strength training three to four days a week, <clears throat> depending on the week.、Um, sometimes it's three days, sometimes it's four days.、Um, just hanging out at maintenance.、Um, I'm really just enjoying having more food.、Mm. <laughs> um, Somebody was asking me like, "Oh, where do you see yourself after you finish this, you know, fat loss phase?" I'm like, "Well, I would be doing the same things, but probably eating a little bit more food." Yeah, <laughs> right. There's、That's... really no change. It's it's a lifestyle, right? It's it's a journey that I'm embracing.、Um, it's really not going to stop. There's going to be some variations. I may be working out more, or maybe a little bit less.、Um, I may be eating. You know, a little bit less food if I'm trying to lose a couple pounds. But what I'm doing day to day is gonna be pretty much the same. Right. 
that's the the question I always ask someone when they come and say, "Hey, I want to lose this much weight," which that's never a bad goal to start with. But we need to build up on that because there's a lot more to weight loss than just losing weight. Because my question then is, then what? If you lose 20 pounds over the next six weeks or whatever your goal is, that's really quick. But let's say over the next six months we work together and you lose your 20 pounds. That's awesome. Then what? Then uh, are you going to yo-yo back to where you were? Or are, you, are we going to be able to leave you with sustainable behaviors that, that can help you maintain at that level? You said it there, maintenance. And enjoy your life. I mean, if when you take a step out of it, you're you're out of that culture now. You're you're now you are on the track of of self discovery, and so it's not stuck in the diet modality. When you, now out, outside looking in, you know you're out, you're on the porch, so to speak, looking into the diet culture that we used to be a part of, because that's not you anymore. I can see it in your conversation and and the way you've recognized things. You know, you, it's not all about the scale. It's not all about this. It's about everything else. How does that feel now? Like the, the, a year removed from thinking I, I got to do things a certain way. How does that feel now? I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's almost freeing. Yes. Like I have to say internally, I still have a lot of thoughts that I'm working on. A lot of, you know, covert behaviors yeah. Um, you know, some mornings when I step on the scale and I see them numbers a little bit higher than the day before, I still have those thoughts, <laughs> um, but they don't control how the rest of my day goes anymore. Amen. It's like, well, it sucks, but probably because I had too much high sodium food the night before, I'm just going to drink more water and move on. That's awesome. That's a, that's a correct response because it's totally cool to be able to say this sucks. What do you do after that? That's the yeah, thing. It's, and it's, it's hard to get there. Like for, yeah, I is. shared um, a graph of all my way in for the last, I think 10 months, um, a couple of days ago on Instagram. And you can see in the beginning, I have more gaps in the data just because I was avoiding the scale. Yeah. Like I, I would know like, Oh, I think, the number is going to go up today. I don't want to stand on it. There's no point. But it took me months of working through those thoughts and telling myself, this is just a data point. This is yes. just a number, right? So I have to practice. I get on the scale. I see the number I don't like. I may cuss a little bit. <laughs> I say this sucks. <laughs> right. And then I tell myself, this is just a data point. This is just a number. It's okay. It's just a number. And it takes many, many, many practices like that for me to, I guess, see myself worth based yeah. on the number I see on the scale. That's, that's a gym right there that, that, you know, we have to work through, well, you know, pivot through the, mm -hmm. those thoughts. I, I, I also have a history, you know, like I've said before on, on the podcast, I was a few years ago, I was almost 400 pounds. And I've lost a considerable amount of weight since. And I still have quite a few that I'd like to lose that I'm working on. But I'm at a maintenance phase now, too. And life is pretty good. But when I step on the scale and I notice that it hasn't, it hasn't gone up, but it hasn't gone down. And, and um, those, old, those old thoughts are right there waiting for me. You know, you might as well give up. You, you're stupid. You suck. I mean, these are mine, not anybody else's. But they're, they're pretty harsh. Yeah. And, um, and then I got to tell myself, you know what? This is a data point. And Brain, thank you for letting me know how we used to be. Yes. But, uh, Thank you, but, mind. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. But that's not us anymore. 
And so we're going to use that as a, just a learning opportunity to move forward. So if you're listening, I know we're kind of wrapping up a bit, but if you're listening, the whole, the whole premise of this is there's no failure. There's plenty of learning opportunities, and that's what we need to do. You need to change that mindset of failure into a journey of learning opportunities. And you know, you'll, you'll find yourself sitting where Angela is sitting, where you feel, I mean, she literally said, I can't describe it. It feels like it's so freeing. Gosh, that is, I wish every, I wish every human being on the planet could say that about their relationship with food. And that's, that's why we exist. Um, so Angela, I know we're getting kind of close to wrapping up here. Um, I always like to give folks, you know, the spot to plug themselves. So if, you know, if folks are interested to reach out to you and kind of talk and then figure things out or just to give you some, some social reinforcement in general, where can they find you? Um, I'm uh, chasing chinups um, on Instagram and that's, really the only media platform I'm using right now. Sure. Um, I guess my goal is to figure out how to use TikTok or Instagram reels, but <laughs> it seems, it seems difficult. Like I'm trying to, I need to set up some time, some time so I can figure out the technology behind it. <laughs> yeah. I'm working on that myself. Just getting in there. Uh, I just started TikTok a, a couple of weeks ago. And so it's, it's, uh, it's fun, but it's, it's definitely different. But it's it's yeah. a it's a new way to to encourage and inspire others too. So that's great. But uh, Chase and she'll be linked in the show notes below, everybody. So if you're listening and driving or whatever, you can go back and check the episode um, description and the her uh, Instagram handle will be put in there. And um, gosh, Angela, this has just been such a fun conversation, and we, you know we've learned a lot here about perseverance of will for you and how our behaviors, if they're uh, you know. If they're modeled correctly, uh, and correctly doesn't mean perfect, but if you know if we start modeling behaviors, people take notice, and uh, your family took notice, right? So your, your husband started changing his behavior, and now your kids are working on their intuitive eating journey, and that all started because you decided to make a change. So if you're listening, I want you to know any change that you make in your life is powerful for everybody involved, and so one little step forward can move the entire family forward. Don't forget that. You have more power than you think you do, and that's a good thing. I know this is a welcome to my TED talk. It feels like at this point, I just <laughs> really want to encourage you with this version of the human series that we're human. We're, 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 we're not perfect. So stop trying to be, um, Angela, do you have any uh, last minute thoughts for the audience? Um, I know I can't put you on the spot there. Yeah. <laughs> I think no matter what you're working, trying to work on, it just start mm. pick something small and just start and be patient. I know it's not exciting. It's not like social media, you know, you have the before picture and then you have the after picture right away. It takes time for things to work. Um, for a lot of us, we didn't put on the weight overnight, so we can't expect to lose the weight overnight. So just start something small, be patient and stick to it, stick with it for a little bit, and then see where it takes you, right? It's, you don't have to be perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about consistency. Well, that's it. Yeah. No perfection, only progress. Yeah. It's uh, uh, man, what a great little tidbit there. Hey, if you're listening, just start. Take, take a, we call it a, a five minute committed action. Choose one mm -hmm. action to do for five minutes a day and start there. And I promise you, if you stick with it, life will be so much better. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to help in some way, just a small movement forward. And so 
we want to leave you with that and, and encourage you and just say, you know, thank you for listening. And um, always until next time, uh, keep working on that healthful behavior. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.